Hey everybody, Tyler Suders with the Consumer Technology Association. We are the owners and producers of CES, the most influential and largest tech event on the planet. We are here to help you get CES ready. The show runs January 8th through the 11th, 2019 in Las Vegas. And today we are focusing on an evolving category in the tech world, AR and VR, augmented reality and virtual reality. First, a bit of a level set and a thumbnail definition of each for you. VR is a digital recreation of real life settings. So you put on those headsets and you are transported somewhere else. AR, augmented reality, is laying virtual elements onto the real world. So you are in your place and time, for the most part, but you're able to interact and engage with things that aren't necessarily on the planet yet. In either event, they both have remarkable potential and applications. Game changers. Think about what this would do for healthcare, agriculture, manufacturing and business, education, retail as well. So what started to some degree as B2C is now very much moving into the B2B play. So today we are talking with two global technology companies who are driving AR, VR technology, Samsung and HTC, Global Giants. That's all coming up on this edition of CES Tech Talk. With us now is Dan O'Brien. He is General Manager of Americas for HTC. And Dan, thanks for joining us and talking all things tech today, specifically VR, of course. Oh, this is great. Thank you so much for having me. I really look forward to this. Uh, long career in technology for you, especially on the, the hardware side. Um, HTC, though, has been home to you for more than a decade now, and HTC is clearly a pioneer in VR headwear. Why did the company target VR as an area of your strategic focus? Um, you know, it's a great question. Thanks for asking. The Really, as we kind of, uh, as a company, we, we've always thought about how people are going to engage and interact with digital content. And we were so early on in like the, the smartphone space where we were actually ODM making smartphones for other companies. Um, we really found that we were very early on with things like the first Windows mobile touch phone, the first Android phone, um, and things like that. And so when we saw what was happening and what was coming in the maturity of the XR world, right, of things that are in augmented reality and virtual reality, we looked at all the problems that we could solve, and augmented reality at the time was challenged with a lot of problems uh, that we felt like we couldn't solve for the ecosystem of players that had to be involved to make it successful, whereas virtual reality, we could. We actually could solve real problems for content developers, for consumers, for channel partners, and we felt like there's a real business here that we can actually get this product to market and we can actually get people rolling on what they can do in virtual reality. And so we felt like there was a real tangible piece here that we can make everybody successful from developers, channel partners, um, content creators, hardware creators. Um, and we really felt like we could make a big difference there. And then we really feel like the vision of the future of how people will engage with digital content will be with virtual reality headsets and with augmented reality headsets. And that it really sets us up to be 
uh, an early technology leader when it comes to this space. Well, let's talk about that opportunity uh, a little bit, Dan, because you're in an interesting space. The the launch of the original Vive um, was very much consumer focused, and now you're moving toward the Vive Focus as as a brand name. So HTC is really innovating across the B two C, but also the B two B spaces. Um, how are you navigating? these somewhat distinct audiences that that seem to be separate, at least in the use case scenarios? Sure. I think, it's, uh, again, that's also a really great question. I think when you when you look at the early days of Vive, you know, starting in 2016, where we launched our original headset, it was very consumer focused. A lot of that was also driven by the fact that who understood how to create content in VR was game developers and they created these game experiences and they understood the engines, the software engines that you would use in order to create this type of content. And it was a very consumer focused uh, content creation um, and who would enjoy it. It was really developers, gamers, um, and this very early adoption audience, which aligns very much to a high-end gamer or tech enthusiast. Then we really started to think about how do we move and teach other verticals and other professionals about how to create that kind of content. There was a very natural progression between this early adoption gaming audience and content creators and this later adoption, but also very innovative, well-funded B2B and professional developer base that would start to learn how to create those types of experiences. Mm -hmm. So you've seen now where the market, not just HTC, but the market has actually been driven a lot by an innovative early adopter consumer and now is being picked up by also that professional B2B uh, space where they're starting to see a lot of savings, collaboration, uh, efficiencies, training, um, use cases. So what we have also seen though is how we have pivoted our company is not just trying to approach just the B2B to C or B2B category, but we've approached it from an entire ecosystem. Um, we actually have four major divisions inside of the Vive business, which is very different from the smartphone business. We have our hardware and technology division. We have our platform, which is Viveport and content distribution. Mm -hmm. We also have a first-party studio where we create our own uh, applications, whether it's gaming or education or arts-driven. Uh, and then we also have an accelerator with our VibeX, where we invest in other companies and other solutions. So we have seen where we need to have an ecosystem to support the B2C community, which is then also supporting our B2B uh, community as well. Mm -hmm. So it's been a great ride for us so far in being able to address the needs and the problems for both of these different uh, verticals and customers. So let's focus on the consumer side for a bit. Um, Dan, that's really where uh, VR came to the forefront, I think, from a general awareness standpoint. I'm talking about the, uh, a non-tech audience, really. But 2016 was a major launch year for consumer products and, and VR. Um, widespread introduction of hardware to consumers. Um, <laughs> it's hard to believe that was uh, a little less than three years ago. But what do you see for 2019 after you've been through uh, a cycle or two on that and how the landscape has changed to some degree and, and, and lessons learned that you apply to, to what's ahead in the immediate future? Sure. Well, we when I look at back at 2016 and where we are in 2019, 
Um, we continue to see a very healthy velocity in the adoption of VR products by consumers and professionals. Um, and this is really needed. This is needed for the industry. This is needed for the technology to continue to progress and move towards that early mass consumer. Um, we're also going to see consumers more widely adopt the technology this year going into 2019. But not just on the hardware, but also through broader content applications delivered through new platforms. So you're going to start to see VR in 2019 become more commonplace not only in the home, but in your work environment, maybe in schools. You're certainly going to see it in location-based experience um, like arcades. Um, you're also going to see a lot more of your friends just having this and being able to use this technology. So I think from a consumer standpoint, we have seen a great progression using all the way back to our original uh, Vive, which is three years in the market at this point, um, to the introduction of uh, all-in-one products or standalone products that don't require a PC. Um, you're going to see the entrance of new products, new product price points, and a lot of content that will help us broaden that base. Okay, so looking ahead to the immediate, <laughs> immediate future, Dan, CES 2019. Uh, talk about HTC's plans there to, to engage not just the, the business professional audience and all the synergy that is involved with being at CES in the tech sector, but also uh, the larger you know, global audience that you reach of those who aren't at the show that you can still reach through, through media and through messaging. Sure. No, that's great. Thank you. So we have a variety of announcements coming this year. Um, not just in hardware, but we're going to be really focused on driving leadership in the VR category. Um, at CES 2019, we're going to be, we have a great theme for addressing what we call life in VR, which is really about expanding what we can do in VR and broaden the consumers and what they're empowered to do in VR, uh, which is going to uh, help us close the gaps between what consumers are faced with with VR and their understanding of it today and what they can really un understand and appreciate about what they're going to be able to do with it in the future. Mm -hmm. So I think that's really exciting. It's great for end users. Uh, we're going to continue to be focused on being the best premium VR option uh, for our consumers. And uh, we have a lot of really fun, exciting announcements. And we look forward to everybody you know, listening in and for those that are, have the opportunity to be at the show to experience it there. All right, taking off the, the HTC hat for, for just a moment, Dan, uh, you are a CES veteran, right? How many shows will this yeah. be for you by 2019? Oh, geez. I'm aging myself a little bit, but probably 15 plus at this point. <laughs> no, no, no. You're building your credibility. That's not age. That's seasoning. <laughs> Thank That's you. That's fine. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, as a CES veteran, as a, a tech professional, has been with you know some major international uh, tech innovators in your career, what are the non- VR and uh, categories that categorize that as VR and AR innovations. Are you most excited about seeing it and discovering while you're uh, at CES in Las Vegas? Yeah, I think that there's going to be, in 2019, I think artificial intelligence is going to continue to drive so much of what we're going to see as a solution base, uh, whether you're in VR or whether you're in your social engagements the artificial intelligence and the software behind it and how it's going to be impacting um, all segments and verticals is, is pretty powerful. 
I think blockchain and what that means for commerce and payments and how that's going to change and how that's going to bring us further innovations. Um, decentralizing payments is going to be very exciting. And then I think the, the, a really big piece that people are going to just see a lot of information on is 5G technologies um, in 2019 and how 5G is going to literally change uh, so much about what we do in our day-to-day -day interactions with digital content. Mm -hmm. And it's going to fundamentally change uh, the technologies that can take advantage of 5G. So it's not necessarily smartphones and things like that. It's, it's more interactive higher bandwidth requirement products. And I think it's going to be really exciting how consumer electronics is going to be able to take advantage of all three of these technologies and the types of products we're going to see in the future. So you're really bringing it back to VR, right, in terms of the use cases that you and HTC uh, envision in the years ahead, right? You're going to need that, that 5G um, as an innovation platform to deliver uh, all the content and the interactivity you need for all of these um, you know, envisioning uh, the, the innovations you envision to come to life and come to life accurately and effectively, right? I do. I, I you know, I, selfishly, I want to bring it all back to myself and the technologies <laughs> that we're working on. But I think, uh, I think these technologies are going to spur on the uh, newer technologies, things that haven't even been invented yet. Mm -hmm. When I think of 5G, I think about an ambulance that has, you know, uh, all of the... Uh, you know, information about the health status of a patient that might be en route to a hospital and the hospital being able to have real-time data on the same patient, you know, as they arrive. And that has nothing to do with a VR or an AR technology, but literally, like, it has to do with real-time life-saving solutions that could be implemented because of products like 5G um, and technologies like 5G mm -hmm. and the speeds that it will bring. So I think, you know, a lot of people did not predict that 4G technologies would enable Lyft and Uber to come into existence. And I think that there's going to be some pretty life-changing uh, um, technologies and innovations that will come around because of 5G as well. So I, I'm really excited about it. Yeah, and you just made the case for getting to as many areas of CES 2019 as possible. So I appreciate you taking care of some of my job as well along the way. It's, uh, <laughs> it's great multitasking. <laughs> Thank you. No, I appreciate it. I think there's a lot to be said for coming to the show and being exposed to a variety of different tech and really trying to broaden your understanding of how this can apply to your your everyday life and problems that you might be facing and the solutions you want to solve for that the market will really be receptive to because there's billion billion dollar companies and ideas that are going to spur from you know the XR technologies artificial intelligence mm -hmm. blockchain and 5G mm -hmm. these these things combine these worlds and you've got uh, you know, the future in hand. Right. A lot. Of, no, yeah. A lot of the horizontal elements. Absolutely. Well, Dan O'Brien is not only a CES veteran and budding spokesperson for us here at CTA. He is a general manager of HTC Americas. And Dan, appreciate your time and expertise and really looking forward to seeing you uh, in Las Vegas sometime soon. Great. Thank you for having me. Look forward to seeing you all there. Yoon Lee is Senior Vice President of Content and Services and Head of the Product Innovation Team at Samsung. And you had a pleasure to have you with us today to talk VR. Thank you for inviting me. 
Uh, very broad-based question to start. This is the world in which you live and breathe. What has you most excited right now about what you're doing in VR at Samsung? Uh, VR is, uh, I think we gave birth to the mobile VR area uh, probably sometime in 2014 uh, with the Note 4. Mm-hmm. And since then, it's been a uh, very exciting journey. Uh, as you all know, VR, uh, and then came along AR, and then we're all wrapping those two with other uh, mixed realities, and, and internally we're calling it XR, mm-hmm. because uh, it's a reality, but what kind of reality is what we're going after? It could be virtual, it could be augmented, it could be mixed, or it could be something else. So with that angle... Uh, we're very excited about the uh, expansion. Um, also, uh, it's actually following a very classical chasm uh, trend. There were a lot of new adoptions, heights, and uh, attention at the beginning. Um, then, um, just like the uh, innovation hype cycle, uh, in certain sections, such as VR in particular, were dipping down a little bit um, in uh, stabilizing and uh, so, so that uh, it's ready for the next uh, second wave of, of takeoff, um, which is very typical of any area that didn't exist before. So we're witnessing that, and my prediction is that uh, this will eventually come out of that dip cycle, and then maybe 2019... Uh, 2020, particularly with the uh, proliferation of 5G, I think this will reach another level of experience for sure. Well, that's an interesting point, Yoon. Uh, the uh, development and implementation of, of 5G nationally here in the U.S. and, and internationally for your market as well. Um, how key is that connectivity to driving greater use, um, broader adoption of VR, both in the consumer and, and commercial spaces? So uh, if you look at the first generation of VR, many were isolated experiences. So, for example, the the most popular one at the beginning was something like Roller Coaster, where you can have similar experience without visiting. Mm-hmm. And, you know, something like that wasn't really about connectivity. It was more about isolated experiences. Um Connectivity uh, has become a very natural uh, requirement um, in the VR space because when you're virtually there, you also want to virtually be at some point, say like concerts or events that's happening around you now. Um, But current technology as it stands is limiting. Uh, Wi-Fi, is limiting of, uh, due to latency, and certainly the uh, cellular network technology is uh, is limiting as well. So uh, we see many desires uh, and even use cases, and in certain cases, primitive level of implementations on being at a certain place without physically being being there, or being at an event physically uh, without physically being there. Mm-hmm. But experiencing something simultaneously has been a uh, both uh, explicit and implicit need from consumers for a while since VR took off. 
but uh, technically we weren't able to uh, cater up to that expectation. And this 5G will finally give us some crack um, in the opening of that experience. So as far as a market driver, Ewan, um, I've heard it described before that one of the challenges is that uh, VR doesn't have its killer app yet. We don't know what will be the Mm -hmm. singular category or or, or vertical for usage. Uh, Entertainment, commerce, skills training. What's your early favorite? Or is it? it, do you see advantages Um, to all of the above and, and, and wait to see how it plays out? I, I think I think that's a bit of a uh, generalization of VR. Mm-hmm. VR VR does have killer app. It just doesn't have a killer experience. So it kind of goes back to my five G uh, notion. Mm-hmm. Um, killer app really is about killer use cases. Uh, there are so many exciting use cases in VR. Technically, it's still uh, not there yet. The headset's too clunky. The resolution is not good enough. We haven't figured out how to uh, overcome the motion sickness. Um, plus, you know, the you know the the connectivity piece is not there yet to give uh, some sort of a real time experience with others. Um, one good uh, use case is, you know, for example, uh, that I've been thinking for a long time is. Uh, you know, uh, it's like virtual seats at concert. Mm-hmm. So, you know, imagine that you go to a concert. Even the best seats, physical seat, right, can be only occupied by one person. And uh, it's expensive. It's up for grabs. And even the best seats uh, is below the stage. You know, you don't get an opportunity to sit right next to a performer or even, you know, uh, at an angle where it's the most interesting to you. You can't do that. You can't occupy a seat on the stage and not be distractive to uh, other concert courts, right? Hmm. All those problems will go away if you have a virtual seat on the stage using a VR where thousands of people could double, quadruple book and have a vantage point where not even the best seat at that concerts could give you. So that's a that's a killer use case. That's a killer app. We just don't have the killer experience. So uh, we're very focused. Uh, we know what I think which area re- requires VR and AR. Um, we are uh, maturing the technology so that the experience become uh, at, at a level where it feels second nature to them. It feels very convenient to them that it has no friction between the experience and um, uh, signing up. Mm-hmm. So I've never heard that described that way before, you. And that's fascinating in that not only could everyone have a, say, courtside seat to the Golden State Warriors, you could have a bench seat or an on-court seat. Um, Absolutely. In all those in all those uh, instances, is so. Is that in your vision um, a live shared experience, or does that have to be at least for the foreseeable future uh, recorded and immersive uh, after the fact? I, I think uh, live is the best. Uh, recording could be a consolation prize, but <laughs> depending on cer- yeah, depending on certain uh, depending on the type of what you want to consume, uh, sometimes it's not interesting if it's not live. So, for example, you know, you don't wake up in the middle of the night uh, to watch you know Days of Our Lives. But you do wake up in the middle of the night if there is a big sports event going on. Sports right. is the only thing 
that people are willing to wake up in the middle of the night and watch live. And even if it's the most immersive experience, the courtside experience that we can give to them, if it doesn't happen live, the excitement diminishes significantly. So um, there's an element to this, you know, you know, this being live or not being live, very, very closely tied to what kind of content that you're going to be covering. Mm-hmm. Does that put the premium on the manufacturer, on the, the equipment maker, the hardware itself, on, and I want to phrase this the right way, more of the quality of experience rather than the diversity of experience in that it's less about the size and the fit and the adaptability of the VR hardware itself. It's more about how good that experience is and how close you feel to being in that arena, in that stadium at that time. Yeah, um, you know, what we've experienced in the past uh, in the technology section is the human imagination always comes first. Mm. Uh, Then it's quickly followed by uh, crude hardware implementation because, you know, software alone doesn't, software needs some sort of an outlet, right? And hardware is a conduit to experience uh, whatever you're imagining, imagining through software. Right. And then once you go through that cycle, then there's another imagination that comes out, which typically requires better hardware, which typically requires the existing hardware. Uh, it's, it's just too much for existing hardware and infrastructure to cater up to that uh, experience. VR is in that stage right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, again, it's not a shortage of killer apps. It's a shortage of killer experience. And typically, that killer experience is really lack of hardware experience. Too heavy, too clunky, not enough resolution, not fast enough for sharing uh, virtually real time. Uh, maybe even you know better processing power to to make things more smooth. So uh, I, th- I think I think we have no shortage in in uh, software imagination, but we do have a lot of catch up to do in the hardware space mm-hmm. as well. So, Yoon, where does AI fit into all of this, both practically and experientially? I mean, this is the horizontal topic we see across CES, of course, but across the tech sector more and more. Yes. Um, so, you know, AI is really near and dear to my heart because uh, I wrote a thesis in 1991 for my master's degree in AI uh, when I was uh, um, attending school at Michigan. Um it took a long time to implement AI at the real level um, because, uh, again, human imagination and human theory was far more advanced than what hardware could uh, really do in terms of processing. And I think right now we have enough data, we have enough processing power, we have enough imagination, we have everything kind of put in place to implement uh, AI. And what AI really is all about is making things more uh, contextual. And um, earlier I mentioned about that we're moving from content-centric to context-centric. Right. And I think this is a reflection of now AR is really coming into play. When it was content-centric, we we still had to press the button uh, to activate uh, based on your needs. Mm -hmm. So in other words, like, content sharing from different screens, uh, you know, as, as you move from indoors to outdoor, you still have to activate that, right? Um, but if we truly get immersed into a more context-centric world, then AI, the artificial intelligence, uh, 
the intelligence would, would know what your intentions are, and then it should be able to cater up to, uh, to, to your intention. So from convenience to the type of content that you pre- uh, prefer to the type of, uh, you know, your, your type of consumption, I think all those three areas, areas will benefit from AI. Conven- AI will make it a lot more convenient by removing friction because it knows your preferences. AI will deliver the right content and setting because it knows, again, you. Um, and, and last but not least, um, you know, you might have your unique way of consuming content or experiencing through VR. And AR uh, could basically know you and and cater up to that expectation. So I'm very excited because AI really certainly is no exception to the uh, to to the area of VR. Yun Lee knows whereof he speaks on VR. He is the senior vice president of content and services and head of the product innovation team at Samsung, as well as being a CES veteran. And Yun, we're looking forward to seeing you next month at CES 2019. Thank you. I look, I look forward to seeing you guys as well. All right. Coming up next time on CES Tech Talk. At CES, we have a remarkable place where you can establish a lead or search for a prototype. And it's never been easier. The section is design and source. You can find a partner, expand your business goals, make a connection. And we're talking about design and source with a global company, you'll know this name, that is relatively new to the Fortune 500. Nonetheless, Alibaba is making waves. We are here to help you get CES ready. So download the CES app. You can build your personal agenda, find your favorite exhibitors and speakers, and sync in real time across all your devices. And new this year, connect your LinkedIn account to see which connections of yours are also at CES 2019. A reminder, the show is January 8th through the 11th in Las Vegas. The information you need is at ces.tech. As always, none of this is possible without the real stars of this podcast, our engineer, John Lindsay, and our producer, Tina Anthony. You all are the best in the business. I'm Tyler Suters. We're glad you're with us. Let's talk tech again soon.